0: Good morning. Merry Christmas. Today we're going to see God is much bigger than our thoughts and plans. God is much bigger than our thoughts and plans. We're seeing it in this building and we're seeing it in the gospel. We'll see it big time today in our passage. Matthew's gospel accounts, account focuses in on the lion, line of David through Joseph. Uh, remember we saw last week that this line through Joseph was the legal line, the royal line back to David, King David. It, Matthew emphasizes how Jesus was legally the King of Israel. We're going to see this throughout the book of Matthew. As we saw last week, God used sinful men and women to preserve the line from Abraham To David, to Joseph, to Jesus. At any given time during that 1,500 plus years, it looked like the lineage might be in trouble. But God preserved the line. What a great God He is. He made promises in Genesis 3.15. He made promises to Abraham. He made promises to David. And guess what He did? Kept His promises. That's why we know Jesus is the King of Israel, the Messiah. Today we will see the Creator God becomes the incarnate King of Israel, the Son of David. These are amazing truths. Much like what we talked about in Sunday school today, the... uh, Trinity, we talked about the Trinity and how complex that is and mysterious it is. We're going to deal with another doctrine as we look at it today in our passage. The miracle of the Incarnation is a doctrine that should cause all of us to awe God. We have to admit there is a ton of mystery surrounding the virgin birth, right? If you think you've got it all figured out, you're Wrong. And be very careful if you say that you've got it figured out because you might just be a heretic. That's what happens when you say you've got these things all figured out. There are many, many questions that I wish I could have answered about the Incarnation. The primary question would be, how? How? How in the world did God become a man? How did that happen? How did the Spirit begot the Son? How did the Son become a small little baby in the womb of Mary? Anybody else? How did that happen? But I think we need to be careful because we don't know the answer to that. God doesn't give us the how. The how question is not given in Scripture, so what do we do? We just trust that it happened. It happened And even if we don't know how, it happened. How do we know it happened? Because the Word of God says it happened. It's a historic fact. How did it happen? Only God knows completely how it happened. God became a man because God's Word says it happened. Now, very important, if we question the Word of God, we question its veracity, then when it comes to mysteries like this, we're going to do what? We're going to stumble. If we don't believe that the Word of God is true and that everything it says is right and perfect, when we come to a doctrine like this, we're going to go, "Uh uh-oh, what do I do? And what happens is when people don't trust in the Word of God, they come to a doctrine like this and they try to rationalize it in their minds and they make it fit. And that's when we get off. Jesus is God. Everybody said? Okay. He has always existed as God, but He took on flesh. He became a man. Jesus is God. Amen? Amen? Jesus became a man. Amen? Okay. He was and is and will always be God, but He became a man. And he remains a man and God even now. What do we do with these truths? We trust the Lord. You know, it really does go back to faith, doesn't it? It goes back to trusting what God said is true and this is who he is, so I trust him. Even if I can't rationally understand every bit of it. These truths are mind-blowing truths. These are facts that are contrary to anything that we see in our world presently. God doesn't become a man in every generation. It's only happened one time in history. But when the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, Galatians 4.4. This amazing truth is rejected by the world. However, we who are born again born of God, know it's true. This passage, as well as others, clearly states God became a man in order to save a people for Himself. And we trust it, don't we? We don't know fully how God did it, but we know He did do it. And we are eternally thankful for that, aren't we? I'm thankful He came into the world, aren't you? Because if He didn't come into the world, we would die in our sins and be separated from God forever. I'm thankful for the incarnation. Today we're going to explore this birth of our Savior from the tax collector Matthew's perspective. We will see Matthew continues this theme of Jesus is the Christ, the son of David, the legal son of Joseph. So let's examine Matthew's account of the of the first Christmas. Our passage breaks down into three sections. First, the sketchy situation. Second, the sovereign's solution. And third, the saint's submission. Let's look first at that sketchy situation. Look with me at Matthew one eighteen. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Matthew starts this narrative section, or this section on Jesus' birth with a bombshell. He gives a true tension that is going on in the heart of Joseph. We kind of step back there and we see that Joseph was grappling. This doesn't make sense. As he came to know that his betrothed wife was pregnant. Mary was betrothed to Joseph. This was a legal union. It was as solid as a marriage. The only two differences were they were not living together and they had not consummated the marriage. It was a legal bond and it was a firm legal bond. The man and the woman had not had relations and they were not allowed to live together, but the couple, was it was as if they were married. Everything about it. It's not like our engagement period where you can put a ring on the finger and then take the ring back off the finger and change your mind if it doesn't work out. In this culture and in that time, if you were betrothed and you broke it off, you were going to have to give them a certificate of divorce. It was shameful in the culture if two betrothed people ended up getting pregnant. That would be a bad blemish on the marriage going forward. However, we see in this passage that Joseph finds out his wife was Found to be with child. This appears to mean that he could tell. He saw it. He understood. It's possible that Mary went away and came back and came back when she came back from visiting her aunt or uh, Elizabeth. He comes back and something's different. Uh, you got a problem. We got a big problem. It's, she's showing probably. Okay, So it's found, Joseph understands, he sees it. Now this would be pretty shocking stuff for Joseph, wouldn't it? His mind would have been blown. He would have thought scandalous behaviors had happened. If he, being a righteous man, and he was, as the Scripture says, he knew he wasn't responsible. So what's going on with this lady? It would be very sketchy for Joseph. His wife was pregnant He must have assumed there was another man for at least some time previous, right? Notice it states, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. We see a lot about Joseph in this one little verse. A lot. You know, there's not a lot in Scripture about Joseph. After Jesus and after uh, the kings or the wise men come, After that, we don't hear much more about Joseph. But what was he like? Well, it says that he was a righteous man. He was a gracious man, as we see from these verses. He was a compassionate man. He was a shockingly kind man. Now, the righteous man doesn't mean that he was a perfect man. It means he was a man declared right with God by faith, who was then living out his walk with the Lord, his relationship with the Lord. He wasn't perfect, but the direction of his life was what? To serve and obey the Lord. So he would be called a righteous man. He was righteous by declaration by God and by direction by the grace of God working in him. He was justified by faith alone, but he was also an obedient follower of Christ or of God. That's a very strange thought, right? the God who was also in his wife's womb. His righteous behavior was by the grace of God working in him. Joseph's right standing with God was demonstrated by how he responded to this apparent sketchy situation. Deuteronomy 22, 22, and 23 states, Joseph could have demanded his betrothed wife be killed by stoning. But Joseph showed mercy. It implies that Joseph understood the sinfulness of man, didn't he? It implies that he understood that man, people blow it. And this wife of mine or my engaged or betrothed wife blew it. And so he offers to give mercy and grace to this to Mary. In fact he planned to divorce her or her send her away secretly but not disgrace her publicly. Remember, we know that the Pharisees were known for this kind of thing, right? Remember, the Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery before Jesus and did what? In an attempt to shame him. To shame her, right? And cause Jesus to stumble trying to test him. Do you see how this shows, though, that Joseph had a heart that was compassionate and merciful, but it was a grappling heart. He was struggling. This is so applicable to us, beloved. Often in our lives today, God's plans for us include some circumstances that just don't seem to make sense to us. Would you not agree? There were several that have happened this week in our own flock. One of them it comes to mind is this uh, suicide death of this young guy that was in the band uh, with the quarter kids, uh, just devastating. Or uh, Kara, uh, Sandy's niece, Mark and Sandy's niece, 26 years old, all right? This is 26, 20, 28, 28 years old, dying of cancer. These are twists and turns in our lives that don't make sense. We don't, we can't. We're grappling, aren't we? All grappling with these truths. We look at the world, we look at the things. We know God's still in control. But it just, it doesn't sit right, right? Same thing happened with Joseph here. An event happened. God allowed an event to happen where he couldn't see clearly. It didn't make any sense. So in his mind, he's planning what should I do? How should I act? How can I glorify God through this? And he offers to put her away quickly secretly and he doesn't shame her our interpretation of our circumstances often seems wacky we just don't get this world often do we it seems very sketchy how can this be for god's glory and our good how can this be happening why does a person have to pass away now Why does this person have to leave now? Why do I need to lose my job now? Why are these people mistreating me? All these twists and turns and crazy things that happen in our life are just like what Joseph was going through. Aren't you glad he went through them? See, by him going through these, we now have a Savior. He walked through trials that had were part of God's plan to bring Jesus into the world. But put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a minute. What would have been your reaction? <laughs> he had hopes and dreams of marrying a godly woman. He was committed to her. Mary didn't start being a a, a, a a godly lady after God chose her. It appears that Mary was a follower of God, a fearer of God. So... If Joseph was looking at her life, he was probably saying, yep, this is a catch. This is a good one. And then, she's pregnant. He was ready to spend the rest of his life with her. He knew he had pure, he had been pure towards her. He had considered God the focus of their upcoming marriage. I know it. And then, she is pregnant. What? Can you imagine? What went through his mind? What would go through your mind? Shock? Sadness? Anger? Frustration? Questioning? Brokenness? Shame? Embarrassment? That would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? It was a sketchy situation to Joseph. And it would have been sketchy for us, too. So how would you have responded? How how do you respond by the way when something bad happens to you or it appears to be bad when these things happen in your life? I'm very convicted at this point. We often get angry. We try to fix things. We get frustrated. We worry, don't we? I'm not sure if I would have been like Joseph, not wanting to disgrace her, planning to send her away secretly. How about you? Would you have? Only by the grace of God, right? Friends, our circumstances, no matter how difficult and unexplainable they are, give us no excuse for prideful and evil behavior towards other people. Returning revile for revile isn't allowed, even if... Someone mistreats us. Joseph's humility is so contrary to our world, isn't it? I want to be like this guy. Showing grace and compassion. Even though he thought possibly this was a bad situation. He showed grace. Thankfully, the way things appear to be were not the way they really were. They weren't sketchy. Instead, they were actually shockingly gracious. Gracious. And again, we don't always see the end, do we? We don't always understand the end. How, how how can cancer for a 28-year-old actually be for God's glory and His good? And how can it be good? We don't always see those. But one question I had as I was reading this account again this week, I, I thought... Why didn't God tell Joseph ahead of time? Why didn't He tell him ahead of time? He did Mary. You go over to the Luke account. You can see it. He told Mary before it happened. Why didn't He tell Joseph? God appears to tell her, but not Him. And He allows Joseph... The way this is worded is that He had to grapple with it for a while. If you're planning, do you... You don't plan instantaneously. He was planning and thinking and plotting. Okay, what do I do? How do I deal with this? So it was painful. He grappled with it. Why? The only answer I could think of as I was meditating on this this was so that God could show His glory through working through His servant Joseph. God was grooming Joseph. To care for his son. Joseph's grace and kindness towards Mary is truly amazing. God chose Joseph because Joseph would care for his son with the grace and care and dependence upon God that he showed through doing this. God was working in Joseph to make him into a perfect adopting father for Christ for the Christ child to grow up under. The unexplainable events in our life are are God's training ground for us too, beloved. Joseph had to, to have some thick skin, didn't he? He also had to have a humble heart towards the Lord to deal with all that was involved with raising the Messiah. Joseph needed to know God was in control and he was taking care of them. So, often these tensions, and I can't stress this enough to you, what happens when a tension or a sketchy situation or a difficult trial comes into your life? What happens? Well, here's what most of the time happens for believers. We fall on our knees. We fall on our knees. We cry out to God and we say, I need help. Right? And it's when we do that that God always shows himself to do what? Be faithful. He takes care of us. And He did for Joseph. Joseph needed to know this, right? We're going to see in a little while, next week, that Herod wanted the child dead. Run! Right? What do you do? You look to the Lord. You trust the Lord. Joseph was learning how to depend on the Lord more. He was growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord. This is God's way. This is the way that God works in His people. He had this big plan to bring the Christ child, but He was using people to accomplish it. This is so good news. This is good news for all of us in the room too. Do you understand that God still has this grand plan? He's accomplishing it all, but He does it through working through each and every one of us. All of us. He's working with you. He's accomplishing great things. He's making you do what? Depend upon him and find that he is faithful. What a good God. What a gracious savior. He's shaping his son's own adopted father. This brings us to the next section, the sovereign's solution. Look at God answer, God's answer to Joseph's confusion. In verse 20, But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, The virgin shall be with child, and she shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. When Joseph contemplated putting Mary away secretly because she was pregnant, God stepped in. God sent an angel to appear to Joseph in a dream. This was a special revelation to Joseph, answering the turmoil of his soul. Now, I have to admit, if we were doing this as prescription, we might think that we should be looking for angels to come speak to us too. But it doesn't work that way. This is description, not prescription. This is telling how events happen, not prescribing how it should happen for you every single time. But what do we do? Well, we should respond the same way. Because God has given us His Word. And His Word tells us what we should do when we go through those trying moments. There's plenty of examples. There's plenty of truth for us to hold on to. Right? Same thing. We see this with Joseph. Joseph is addressed by the angel as a son of David. Again, pointing to what? That royal line that's passed down legally to Joseph. Again, carrying that theme that was highlighted in the genealogy. Joseph is in the line of David. This would be encouraging for for Joseph, wouldn't it? It would be saying, hey, you're in the line of David. Something's associated with that. This Christ child's associated with that. Watch and listen. Listen. Joseph is given in this passage, notice, two imperatives to obey. First, he's told, Joseph is directed to take Mary as his wife without fear. Now, normally, when we read a command like this to take her without fear, do not be afraid, take her as your wife, it might imply what? I think it implies that he might have feared I think there was some worry. there's some fear that was in his soul. He needed to be encouraged. No. Trust God. Don't fear. And the reason for the imperative, the reason to obey the imperative is given by the angel. Notice in the verse, it says, "...for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit." So, he gives a command, and then he gives the reason for obeying the command... And the reason for obeying, not being afraid, and going ahead and marrying is God has put that child there. That's simple. That's the answer. That's what He's saying. The Holy Spirit has put that child there. That answers all the questions, doesn't it? All the fears. All the concerns. Was there another guy? Nope. God put him there. Should I marry? It looks kind of strange. The whole world's going to be watching. At least our community will. The Jewish people are going to think I'm... Don't be afraid. I put the child there. That's what God was saying through this angel. In other words, trust God. He's doing this. He's the one in control. In other words, the baby is from God. God has done this miraculous thing. God was in the pregnancy of Mary. It wasn't sketchy at all. This is God's plan to marry your betrothed wife, Mary. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Second command. Notice, Joseph is told to name Mary's son, Jesus. Notice in verse 21, it says, "...she will bear a son." And you shall call his name Jesus. The angel then explains why Jesus' name is, or why his name, or why the child's name would be Jesus. He states, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, the name Jesus, is the New Testament version of the Old Testament name, Joshua. The name Jesus literally means Yahweh saves. Or, the Lord saves. Joseph was instructed to name his legal son, Yahweh saves. Why? Because this son of David would save his people from their sins. I have to admit, the more I think on these events and stuff, I am blown away and I wish, I cannot wait to meet Joseph. I want to know more about what was going on in his brain. I wonder what he was thinking. How much of the Messiah did he understand? How much of the Old Testament passages like Isaiah 53 did he know? How much did he understand of those Psalm 22 passages where it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How much of these Old Testament prophets would Joseph have said, he's going to save us from our sin. Oh, that my son is going to be the Savior, the Christ. I'm going to name him Jesus because God tells me to name him Jesus. He is the legal heir of David's throne. Doesn't it make you wonder? It, it make, I, I would love to know all these answers to all these questions, but we're not given them. We do know this, though, that God marked out his own son for his death at the very, very beginning. By taking that name Jesus, it meant what? He was gonna die. I don't know about you. We know this. We know that the only way to be saved is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Savior, right? We know that. How many of us would name our child the one who will die to save people? How many of us would name our child, here's your future, you will die to pay for people's sin. Not the way we plan out our children's names, do we? We look at our children and we think, oh, this is going to be great. He's going to have a long life. He's going to be fine. But here, Joseph was told to name him the sacrificing one, the one who saves his people from their sin. One thing's very clear. Joseph knew his child was given a huge responsibility from the very beginning. And as the father that was going to be responsible for caring for this child, can you imagine what it would have been like to be told, Your son is the Christ child, the one who's going to save people from the sins? Parents, All parents in the room, how many of you feel this gigantic responsibility for raising your children correctly? Right? Take it up a notch. You are responsible for caring for the Savior of the world. The Christ child. That would be crushing, wouldn't it? I would fall on my face. Yet God chose this man to lead this home and raise a child. Next, Matthew explains further just how Jesus was the solution for mankind's problem. The angel might have told Joseph this information also, but it's not clear from the passage. It might be Matthew interjecting into it and explaining what it meant that Jesus would save their people from their sins. Notice it states, The virgin birth of the child who will save his people from their sins was a fulfillment of God's promises. Again, Matthew one twenty two states, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. And shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates God with us. Jesus' first advent was the fulfillment of God's promises, His sovereign plan. The prophet Isaiah, seven hundred years before, had spoke of a coming son or Savior. I'm not going to completely unfold everything about this Isaiah passage. It is it's loaded. I'll leave that for somebody like Ken or John to preach on one day for us. Or Mark, Samick, I'll let you do that one, Isaiah, okay? But let's leave it at this. If you just read it in the most clear sense, it's a fulfillment, right? It's the final fulfillment of a prophecy that Isaiah had made that a virgin would have a child and the child would be named Emmanuel. Let's just leave it at face value, right? This was a promise that God had made, and guess what happened? 700 years it happened. What does this mean? Well, this is what it means. It means that if God makes a promise, He keeps it. It also means that God ordained and determined what was going to happen 700 years before it happened. Now, what does that mean? That means what? At least 700 by the way, because I believe He ordained it before the foundation of the world, as the other passages say. It was just revealed to Isaiah at that point. It means that God has the whole timeline of everything determined before what? The world began. That's the sovereign solution. Do you understand what a glorious truth this is? This is so good. Do you ever get the feeling that sometimes that was an accident? Or why did this happen to me? It kind of throws you off guard. You don't understand why things are going on the way they're going. Maybe it seems sketchy. Remember this. God has ordained it all. God is sovereign over it all. We can trust Him. It's not sketchy to God. His answer is is that everything's working exactly how he's ordained it. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, it was the fulfillment of the promises of Isaiah the prophet. A virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Again, the doctrine revealed here is truly staggering. Jesus was the incarnate God. He dwelt in a human body on earth among the creation that He had made. Oh, so much. What are the implications for all this for us? Do you understand that this means that we have a God that understands the most frail points of our own life? (laughs) He's experienced all the weights from the smallest point Until death. Nothing that we experience. There might be children in the room that are saying, God doesn't understand what I'm going through. Well, let me give you some good news, children. He understands perfectly what you're going through. You know why? He went through childhood. He had siblings. He had siblings that probably picked on him. He had it all. He went through the whole process. What a glorious truth, isn't it? It also, I'm so encouraged that our God, the creator, the one that's keeping us alive right now, actually humbled himself to the point of becoming a man. And it always shocks me when I think about the idea of Jesus in the most smallest forms inside of Mary being God inside a womb. Wow. These kind of things make me worship my Savior. Doesn't it make you long for tomorrow when you can tell your kids again about the Christmas story? When we can tell him, hey, God became a man. Wow. These are truly, truly amazing thoughts. And it says that He will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God came into the world. He became a man. He was with us. You know... the, The implications are endless for this. God understands. God loves us. God is compassionate. He sees us in a sin. He knew how bad we were. And He came into the world to pay for sinners like us. And He did it in amazing ways. You know, God, the creator, the sustainer of life, became a man if we know the glory of God and God's sovereign solution, our lives should never be the same. We should act differently, shouldn't we? We should walk around as people that are worshiping the Lord all the time. Again, I love the holidays, but I often think, shouldn't we be thinking on these great doctrines more than just twice a year? We should be thinking and meditating on this truth of the Incarnation daily. All the time. Anybody in here think... Anybody have one of these moments with your job? Well, you say, this boss just isn't treating me fairly. I'm in a very rotten situation here, right? Any of us? Yes? Was it very fair that the God who created the world became a baby in order to what? Die for us? This is... Shocking humility. It puts our hands over our mouth, doesn't it? It makes us say, how can I ever complain about anything? God became a man for me. Amazing truth. If you're here and you don't know this truth, you haven't repented and believed in this truth, today's the day. You need to embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior. He is your hope. He's not just a baby in a feeding trough. He's a baby that grew up, lived a perfect life, and then died on a cross to pay for our sins and rose from the dead. He's the God-man. What a glorious God, right? And if we get this truth just a little bit, if we get and comprehend this truth just a little bit, do you think it'll have an effect on our lives? I think it will. I know it Matter of fact, I think we'll look just like Joseph. We'll look just like Joseph. Look at it. The saint's submission. Verse 24 And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. What is the response to seeing the glory of God? What is the response to seeing the answer to the tension that's going on in his heart? He has this tension. He doesn't understand why things are going the way they are. God says, don't worry. Don't be afraid. I've got it all figured out. It's all set up. It's been established before the world began. God with us is in your, is in your wife-to-be's stomach. And what's his response? Obedience. Obedience. He obeys. Are you having a problem with obedience? Are you having a problem with obeying God? Anybody in the room? It might be because we haven't really grasped the full glory of this message. Who Christ is and what He's done. See, as we understand the glory of what Christ is doing, obedience is normal. It's just like that that child that gets a good, clear glimpse of their father's love for them. When they understand it and the father shows them how much he loves them and he gives them a big hug and they have this great time of knowing each other and understanding each other and there's this awareness that comes over the child And the father then says, hey, son, can you go get something for me? The child doesn't go, no, not really. I don't want to do that now. Most of the time. If you have these great moments where you're enjoying your child and there's this awareness of the glory of how much the father loves you, then obedience comes a lot easier, doesn't it? Children, but when, but when we're all absorbed with ourselves and all we can see is our own circumstances and all we can see is this, is, the world is about me. It's not about God. Then obedience is impossible. What was God calling him to do? Marry a lady that was pregnant. God. At this point, the unregenerate would have said, this makes no sense. I'm going the other way. But the born of God, the one God is working in their lives, they know these truths and they then respond in obedience. And what did he do? He took her as his wife. He he, he woke and did it what the angel told him to do and he named his son his adopted son jesus the one who would save him from his own sin again there are so many mysteries here things that i just can't even fully grasp did he understand that his own adopted son this son that he would take into his that he would be the one that would die to pay for his own sin We know from the Bible that that's what's going to happen. We know that the Old Testament prophesied that that's what was going to happen. I wonder if Joseph, if he did get this message from, the, from Isaiah, from the angel, I wonder if he went back to Isaiah and started reading again. <laughs> and as he read through, did he come to those passages in Isaiah 53 where it talks about his son, what this Messiah would have to do? Friends, we see God's grace work in the first advent. We see God maintain the royal line. We see God supernaturally place a baby in Mary's womb. We see God become a man. We see God use His humble, carpent- humble carpenter to care for His Son. This Christmas story is the one we love, right? This is the one that causes us to obey This is the one that causes us want to go tell our family members and our neighbors and our friends there is a Savior. He came into the world to pay for our sin. Again, we have good news, don't we? We have lots to tell our friends and neighbors. So go tell them. Go make disciples. Because here's the wild thing, that when Jesus came into the world, He became Emmanuel, God with us. But He went back Do you understand that He's still with us? How do I know this? Turn with me, and we'll close with Matthew. The end of Matthew. The end of Matthew. Look at this. Matthew 28. First thing said about Jesus, He's Emmanuel, God with us. Last thing out of Jesus' mouth, recorded in Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 16. baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, another behold, same behold, Isaiah at the beginning, his name will be called Emmanuel. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus did it. Jesus did an amazing thing. He reconciled man to Himself. And now we have the, the God of the universe dwelling within our souls and we have a relationship with Him. And He's with us always. So what do we do? Based on the fact that He's with us and Christ has this authority, we go what? Make disciples. That's our job, right? That's our role. So the question is, are we going to be like Joseph? Now that we know these great truths, are we going to go do it? That's what we're about, right? Tomorrow as we celebrate Christmas and our kids gather around the tree or whatever and we give out our presents, we need to talk to them about the most important present, the thing that really matters, and that is Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like me and you. Let's worship Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Christ Jesus. Thank You for working in sinful people like us. Thank You for giving us a Savior. Thank You for Your Son who is with us always, even to the end of the age. Lord, we pray that You will help us to make followers of Jesus. We know by your grace you have commissioned us to do this and we want to go out and do that. So we pray that you help us, whether it's planting seeds and sharing the gospel for the first time or, or watering those seeds and telling people more and more about the glories of Christ and calling them to repentance, or whether it's encouraging them in their walk with the Lord. Help us, Lord, to proclaim Christ Jesus to one another. To be ambassadors for our King. We thank you, Father, for including us in this great plan. We pray, Lord, that you will give us obedience. Give us hearts of obedience that will obey you and make disciples. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.